The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Well, Kev's done all the tests. Um, you're okay. It's just a regular cold, not the lurgy. Yeah, good old cold. Yeah. Just like the old days. You are. Only <laughs> the good old days of having colds. <laughs> without somebody descending upon you and making you have a PCR test. It's like something from 28 days later. What have you been up to, Kev? Oh, um, lots. <laughs> <laughs> Help me out here, Kev. Lots. Help me out. Well, you've been lots. doing lots of training, haven't you? Lots of online training. Uh, yeah, I've been doing a bit of that. I've been doing some commercial work. Yeah. Um, the workshop I had on Friday, unfortunately, is had to be postponed oh, because COVID. three of the three of the five have COVID or, or members of their family have it. No. So, yeah, I've been doing all kinds of stuff. On a serious note, though, we've had a couple of conversations where you've said you, you want to spend less time away from home. And I, I'm just, I'm wondering, Kev, whether that sort of, I know a lot of people over this period have discovered being at home and not wanting to move around. And some people have become sort of slightly more, with a small eye, institutionalised. And there's a kind of a crossover, isn't there? Where, where, where do you think you are with it? Oh, no, definitely. I mean, that's why people can't get people to get jobs, you know, because so many people have spent 18 months at home and thought, hang yeah. on, I quite like this, you know, especially <laughs> if they, they, their finances allow it. Yeah. And don't blame them at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I always, and I've always been like this, I've always wanted to spend as little time away from home as yeah. possible. But yeah, I suppose the, you know, the last couple of years has kind of emphasised that a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think it has for everybody, surely, you know. Well, I, 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 is there anybody really who could possibly say, yeah, I'd rather spend more time away from home than at home? I don't think it's a case of wanting to spend more time away from home, but uh, certainly the adventurous spirit. I can't wait to get on a plane and get out to Africa again to go and do some photography. Um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah um, no, that's different. I, what I'm on about is, you know... <laughs> It's like traipsing up the M5 every Friday night for a wedding on a Saturday and stuff. You know, you got to do it. You know, we still got to do it. It's yeah. our job. That's, but uh, yeah, you know, you do different things, don't you? That, that's true. That's true. The Fuji cast. I'm going to press the button there, Kev, in case you say uh, something and a client's listening said, what's the matter with my wedding uh, up in Scunthorpe <laughs> at the town hall? Well, I thought you wanted to be there. Um, which, of course, you do. Right. Welcome to the, the show. We have another little announcement today. It's <laughs> just... Which was a bit of a surprise, but I suppose after nearly three years of doing this podcast, it was bound to happen sooner or later. Kev has run out of books of the week. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. What were you going to say then when you said announcement? I thought, what's he on about now? Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm out of books. That's it. Yeah. How can you be out of books, Kev? You've got one of the biggest libraries of people I know. Oh, I, I do have another box of books somewhere, yeah. but I, I have a feeling they might be somewhere else. Um, so, yeah, uh, until I find my other box of books, we're going to have to have a book break. Yeah. <laughs> you should be here, Kev. I've got a few <laughs> books behind me here, but I'm not going to steal your thunder and do the, the do, do the book review. That's not fair. That's Kev's thing on this show, definitely. Right, but we, we we do have your questions, though, that you've been sending into to Facebook and also to click at fujicast.co.uk. Um, we've, um, and we're doing okay for those, but we can always do with more, particularly during the winter months where people sort of, they, they kind of, they hunker down a bit. So um, keep sending them in to click at fujicast.co.uk or indeed, as I've found recently, put them on the Facebook um, post that we have on the and the group and Kev gives them a, a funny little and it's not an emoji what's it called not an emoji um avatar 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 yeah avatar um well you wouldn't know it Kev but um we have a we have a I mean you've got we, you've got um breezy and you've you've got git and now we've we've got a new little but he's not saying anything Kev he's very very quiet let me lift him up 
Studio dog, Kev. Studio oh, he's dog. in there with you, is he? Yeah, he's in here. <laughs> uh, hold on, I'll put him right next to the microphone. I don't know whether you'll hear him or not. Woof. <laughs> no, you're not very good at speaking, are you? Woof. He's looking at you. He's cocked his head on one side. Hang on, does he know his name yet? Yeah. All right, Barney. Barney. No, clearly he doesn't know his name yet. <laughs> that didn't work. I'll put you back down there, darling, because I know you were going to have a little sleep. No, oh, don't go calling your dogs, darling. Oh, what? What am I supposed to call him? Dog. It's a dog. Oh. Darling is your wife. Dog is a dog. Dog is a dog. That's true. I'm not. I'm trying not to get into the uh, mummy and daddy stuff. I, Holy! Just, sh- no, don't even go down there. <laughs> <laughs> our, bro- our brother-in-law has got a dog called Frankie. And the other day, I-, I heard them refer to Barney as the cousin. I thought, no, 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 this dog is Actually, not a cousin. I-, I-, I really don't like that. However, I-, I must caveat that by saying lots of people do, and they are very much part of the family. And so <laughs> no. everybody has their own their own ways of doing it. But I ain't no dog's dad. <laughs> well, you might claim breezy, but certainly not git. <laughs> Hey, this is my son, Git. <laughs> right. Uh, Shall we get into questions before we get into trouble? Yeah. But he's gorgeous. Uh, Kev, you'd love him. He, I've seen pictures on Facebook. He does look very cute. Yeah. He's identical to my sister's cockapoo, who's yeah. also called Barney. Oh, no way. Really? Same colour as well. Yeah. What? Yeah, identical. What were the chances of that, Kev? <laughs> yeah, imagine. It's yeah. not the same dog, is it? My, <laughs> well, I don't know, but my sister is definitely Barney's mum. Oh, she's, no, yeah. she's Barney's grandmother, because actually Katie, my niece, is Barney's mum. God, it starts to get very confusing at that That's stage. why I've stopped going to visit them. They <laughs> said, no, I'm not coming again, never. Oh, not because, especially because you call me great uncle Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Woof. Ah, <laughs> oh, dog whisperer. Do you remember, who was the who was the original dog whisperer in the UK? What was her name? She used to, um, Sita. And she'd always say, uh, you need Mary to say, Whitehouse. Not Mary no, Whitehouse. No, 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 no Mary Whitehouse was a TV person. Barbara Whitehouse. No, not Barbara Whitehouse. Not Barbarella. Barbara Woodhouse. Barbara Woodhouse. I knew there was a house in there somewhere. Yeah, Barbara Woodhouse. Yes. Oh, yeah, she, that's right. She had her own TV show and everything, didn't she? She did, yeah. It was one of those yeah. sort of 70s stroke 80s thing, along with the original, you know, that's when I remember last of the summer wine, all those, that, that sort of period, wasn't it really? <laughs> that wasn't last of summer wine. Was it? <laughs> oh, no, it was last of summer wine. Sorry, I thought you were doing the Waltons for a second. Remember the Waltons? My, 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 uh, my humming skills are as good as my, <laughs> my guitar skills. <laughs> oh, I heard your guitar skills yesterday. Wow. Kev's guitar yeah. skills. I mean, John Bon Jovi, <laughs> watch out. Kevy's oh, yeah. coming at you. I've got lines on the end of my fingers now. That means I'm a bona fide guitar player. I can't do anything with them, but I've got lines on the end of my fingers. Do you have do you have uh, personalised plectrums yet? Is it plectrums? No, uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm not using plucks. Picks, plucks, 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 whatever picks. they call them. Well, right, okay. It's too complicated. Is it? Right, okay. Right, moving on. <laughs> Questions. It is a photography show, but it's always nice to know what Kev's been up to at the start of the week. Are you going first, Facebook or me? Yeah, I'll go first. Why not? Um, for latest questioning on the Facebook group came in 14 hours ago, right. Robert Ham, Kevin and Neil. A very formal entry. What do you think about those photographers? <laughs> I love questions that start with, what do you think about those photographers? <laughs> yeah. A bit, I haven't read the rest of the question yet. Who constantly bemoan certain advancements in cameras. Oh. I ask this because I love my X100F and X-T2, but I do know that I would get more low-light handheld keepers with IBIS. Mm. If this is mentioned by anyone on a bulletin board or camera group, there will always be photographers who attack you with, you don't know proper technique, or learn how to use a tripod. 
Do they sound just, like that, Kev? Is that yeah? How? That's that's how they all sound. Yeah, they all they all sound exactly the same. Right, even the women. I just can't <laughs> understand why someone would be against a feature that no doubt helps sales, not hurt. These people may be a small minority, but their resistance and condescension seems unhelpful in growing the community of camera owners. I don't know why, but for some reason, when when cars with electric windows came in, my granddad. Um, he was vehemently against them. It became, it was almost like his Ibis argument, that one. Who needs a car with uh, with electric buttons? You just, Rose, just, when I'm in the car with Rose, we just, we just turn the handle and the window comes down. Why would you, why would you want one that's on buttons? It became his thing until the day he died. And by the day, day uh, God bless him, he did pass away. A lot of cars had electric windows, but by God, he was never going to buy one with it. He stuck with his old Ford Corsair, uh, until the until the day that he did shuffle off this mortal coil, and I'm sure he stuck with it because it had wind down windows. Well, I, I, I totally agree with Robert and his point. Actually, there are there are and it is a minority, and I don't see it very often. But you know, there is there are people out there that just say, "Well, you know, you don't know how to use your camera and all that kind of stuff." And actually, you know, the fact is, if something does have IBIS, it will be better for the camera. Will be better for you know the, the camera light. sales, the yeah. photographer, if they so wish to use IBIS. If they don't wish to use it, they don't have to use it. They can switch it off. There's plenty of uh, plenty of stuff like that out there. It's the same as kind of the old digital film thing. You know, you should learn how to use film. Well, no, actually, you don't have to. Do you think it's a fear of new and upcoming uh, photographers and those waiting in the wings and, you know? Maybe. I, I You know, I, I'm not saying that, like, learning to use film is a bad thing. Of course it's not. But, you know, if the argument is, you, you, you know, you you got a bad exposure on a digital image you should have learned to use film that's not an argument that's not a good argument in my mind but yeah you know the same thing it's you do see it occasionally you know you don't need a camera i don't want a camera with all of this gubbins and everything no. you know i kind of get that point also by the way I, you know i do i do appreciate people who kind of say i don't want a camera that does video recording can't they make a cheaper one that doesn't do that and and the brutal fact is they can't because it costs more actually to make one with and one without so yeah i mean there are, yeah i agree with but there's there is a very small minority of people yeah. that do sound like this. You should have learned to use a tripod. <laughs> <laughs> Mike from What I See Photography, who is in Brisbane. Yeah, he uh, is. Uh, have you have you been to Australia, Kev? <laughs> no, <laughs> not not, not of late, no. Uh, questions for you both in relation to shooting at weddings from a wedding sh- uh, shoot how often there's quite a few questions here so let's tackle each one as we go along how often do you crop images to get what you want and if you do on average by how much well it's going to be a very d- difficult one to answer to, to be precise with that i i try to get it right in camera but i'm not afraid to crop and and often particularly when you're shooting quite quickly um uh, at uh, well here's an interesting thing the other day, Kev, you had to um, you you did some commercial work and you were doing reportage, documentary work at and your commercial job. And I dare say you had because of the the way you were working in the office where you were, where it was a lot slower pace. You you had time to compose in a different way to the way you do at a wedding when everything's well. When o- often things happen very fast and you s- see stuff on the edge of a a frame and you think I'll just whip that out with a crop. So I crop quite a lot, but m- maybe not a lot if that makes sense. But not not a great deal into the frame, but I, I'm not afraid to do so. Yeah, I'm similar. I'm 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 happy to crop if necessary. Uh, I tend to be more of a straightening person than a cropping person. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got no problems cropping within reason, I, and I will try and get it right, of course. But generally, 
it's when you're editing and, and I say this loads of times when I'm doing my kind of um, portfolio reviews and everything, usually the culprits for bad composition are on the edges of the frames mm. um, because we're not looking at them when we're shooting. And, uh, you know, so that's, that it's, it's a tidying up uh, yeah. exercise more than, more than anything. Horizons definitely uh, for me. Oh yeah. Got to be straight, yeah. Kev. Otherwise oh, everything looks uh, like yeah, it's, on yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it's on a boat. Yeah. yeah, I know. Is yeah. that dining room really at forty-five degrees? <laughs> what do you feel about Dutch tilt, by the way? I hate it. Do you, you're not a fan? No, not if it's done purposely, or, or whether it's just done and people don't correct it. Oh, some people do it. It's part of their art, isn't it? Some people that's part of their their offering, and that's fine. Isn't that sort of disappearing that style, a, a, along with spot color and um, shooting backlit in the rain with a with a speed light? Yeah, I think. Well, I'm not sure about the the speed light thing, but yeah, the other two are definitely long gone, I believe. Yeah, Dolch, Dolch, Dutch tilt. Dutch, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Issue for uh, you to say. I, um, I have uh, I I have delivered um, some wedding pictures. Uh, you know, kind of. Um, cutting the cake and stuff like that where I've had no choice because I'm in a, you know, I'm literally, if I need to get the cake in and then yeah. I have to tilt my camera because of the position I'm in. There's no straightening something, no. <laughs> some stuff. How many images would you take at a 10 hour wedding? Well, this is where when I, yeah, 10 hour, it's very specific. I only do, I only do nine hours and 58 minutes. So it's difficult to answer that one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I would say on average wedding, um, Actually, there's no such thing as an average wedding because I typically take more in the summer than I do in the winter for the same period of time, same length of time. Anywhere between, I would say, anywhere between 1,200 and double that, probably. That's probably how many times I click the clicker on average, roughly, between those two elements. And presenting. I mean, I, I know that I present between 350 and 400 images. And it doesn't seem to matter, Kev, whether it's a... Uh, a shorter one that's only going to the end of the speeches or the dancing one. There seems to be a 350 to 400 number in, in my mind uh, is what, what it comes down to. That's not what I shoot, yeah. but that's what it comes down to. What do you, what yeah. do you, what do you present? Same. Uh, yeah, anywhere between three and 500 generally. Yeah. I like to think that, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, pre, what's the word? COVID? COVID? Pre, well, you said pre something. No, pretty. Oh, pretty. Sorry. I just like to think I'm pretty. As that was the end of it. Yeah. Pardon? Um, because he does say, Mike does say here, he's seeing some photographers in Australia saying 1,500 to 2,000 images delivered. He says that seems to me quite excessive. Yeah, I agree with him. It's, uh, it's too, yeah, I think that's too excessive. Are, are you, I mean, are you getting a lot of the same thing with 1,500 to 2,000? Surely you must be. Listen, if somebody puts four sausages on your plate, yeah. right, and, four, and three of those sausages are beautiful, one of those sausages is superbly beautiful and amazing and the best sausage in the world. Mm-hmm. If you eat the three beautiful sausages first and then you get to the really beautiful sausage, the really beautiful sausage won't taste as good as if you just had that beautiful sausage by itself. Do you use this on your courses? <laughs> yeah, I don't use sausages as an analogy. <laughs> I get, uh, but I it's get, true, though. Yeah, it's you true. Mean. You show yeah. somebody a picture, show, give them five pictures of the same thing, only one of them is the best. Mm. And if you're giving people 1,500 pictures from a wedding, you're duplicating lots and lots and lots of things. And, you know, you, you, you'll make it a stronger set by paring down the images. I, I always remember that glorious story that uh, Jeff Askoff had on, on one of the courses that I know we were at together, 
where he talked about a a client who was um, disappointed, dismayed, uh, not not by the photography, no, not not at all, but by the amount. It was all about amounts, and this particular mm. client he was uh, he was suggesting had sort of an amount in their mind that that was what they felt, or maybe they'd read in a magazine because often this is where it comes from that they perhaps should be having X amount of pictures, and I think he presented 150 seems to come to mind. And he um, he brought in a, a box load of um, uh, of images of roughly about 150, I would imagine, for the for the point of example, and just poured them onto the table, mm-hmm. and and said, "What do you think?" Uh, and this client said, "Well, that seems like a lot of pictures," and he said, "Yes." That, yeah. It's not about the quantity; it's about the quality. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with Jeff. I I, I, I mean, it's quite simple, isn't it? I mean, I, I can't think of any. I mean, unless it's a 24-hour wedding yeah. and there's 3,000 guests, I can't think of any reason why you'd be hitting those kind, delivering those kind of numbers. Yeah, uh, I really can't in, in my head. Um, I, I mean, be, just the yeah. editing alone. The editing can't be can't be taking too much time over the editing and stuff. I mean, oh, no. I don't know. Maybe those people that sell their services based on the amount of pictures they will give their clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and if that's if that's a marketing point for them, that's a different thing, isn't it? It's like it goes back to Jaggy JPEG days, doesn't it? Where <laughs> oh, good old Jaggy JPEG. Oh. Jaggy JPEG. Yeah. I'll just shoot JPEG all day and give you the memory card at the end of the yeah. day. Thank have you very that, much. That'd be that. 250 yeah. quid. <laughs> sort it out yourself. But yeah. home in time for Strictly. Yeah. Well, there's an advantage to that as well. But I think that's a lot. I think 1,500 to 2,000, way too many. I don't think anybody could ever make a choice on that many images, really. Can you imagine that? You can have an album now with 50 in it. Even that aside, I mean, just... I, I'm editing as we speak. I'm, I'm actually culling a wedding as we speak, yeah. as we're doing this. And of course, I've got multiple images of certain things. And, you know, I'm using Photo Mechanic and I'm, I'm pressing my little one button to mark them as red for the ones I'm going to keep. But I'm yeah. very specific about going back and forth over the, the similar images and well, choosing include that one, Kevin. I just look, the best look, one. Looked over your shoulder. No, you didn't put a pink number one on that one. Go back. <laughs> include that one. And a final question, he says, uh, Mike says, Kev, will you be doing any workshops in Australia? If so, could you include Brisbane in your schedule? Uh, no, is the answer. Uh, I did, I did uh, start planning one once, and uh, I think it was the... Uh, there's a magazine. I want to call it Imaging Australia. Anyway, they were trying to organise it for me yeah. to go over there, but uh, visas, nope. No can do. No, you cannot come to Australia and work here, I'm afraid. I refer the honourable gentleman to the start of the show where Kev just wants to work in Malmesbury now. But, <laughs> That's right, but in my uh, living room, preferably. Uh, <laughs> well, he wants to work anywhere where he can still just work in his underpants. No, I'd love to. Uh, I would love to go to Australia yeah. one day, I have to say. But um, yeah, I, I, no, you, I, unless things have changed, which I shouldn't think they have. Um, isn't the, isn't, I can't the, do a isn't the training thing okay though? It's a bit like America. You can train in America, but you can't go over there and, and shoot a wedding. Yeah, it's very complicated, um, and also it's complicated in America. You're right about that. You are, you can go and educate, but there's certain caveats to that in terms of where the payment is taken, all kinds of things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You do still need to get a, I can't remember what it's called now, I went through those steps, some kind of mini visa of some kind. Mm. But yes, you can. Maybe that's the, the case in Australia, but it wasn't then because the magazine looked into it and they were like, yeah, actually, this isn't going to work out. And, I, and really, I suppose, the way the world is, Kev, it might be a little while yet. It might be a little while just yet. Never mind yeah. visas, even, uh, even Europe at the moment. I was concerned 
considering the other day trying to organise something in Europe, and I still am. But um, I look at the news and I think, oh, please, can we just get this sorted because there's so much I want to do. Oh. Mm. Anyway, back to Facebook. What have you got, Kev? Chris J. Guy. Right. Good day, legends. <laughs> Where he's from. Legends. Good day, legends. Legends. Uh, what software do you use to deliver your images and slideshow photo films to clients and why? I believe oh. I've heard Kev say he uses Dropbox, which surprised me given there are great solutions uh, like PicTime, Pixie Set, ShootProof, etc. Yeah. Cheers. Well, I use PicTime. I really like the presentation of PicTime. I used to use Zenfolio, and Zenfolio may well have changed, but it, it always looked a bit clunky to me. Not not as in user interface, as in the experience of actually looking at something and, and wanting it to be more attractive than it was. It, it felt just a bit box-led. Whereas with PicTime, I love it when you can make some of the pictures bigger, some of them smaller, so guide somebody around the story, as it were. And now you can also do your slideshows on there as well. You can add music to it. And I think it's a really, it's not the cheapest, I have to say, but it's a really great experience. I just uh, renewed mine the other day. What was it? 300, 400? Something like that. It, 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 it's not the cheapest, but but it is a great way of delivering. And of course, then you can also use it if you want people to download all the images and have them. Because I was sending out, and I know, Kev, you're, you're going to wryly smile at me now, because for a long time I used to say, but Kev, send them something that is in a, a box with a USB and presentation and but I, I stopped doing that and that was a covid thing because um i didn't really want to be dumb if you see my local post office kev if you see the people <laughs> that go in there and and i i have now gone to the download thing and it's it's also greener yeah i mean i i'm not sure where he got the dropbox thing from i've never delivered wedding clients to pictures in dropbox i use dropbox to back them up i use PicTime also um and uh yeah i haven't i haven't done usbs in uh i don't know five years yeah. I've still got a whole pack of them here with my name on there. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't done it in like five years. So yeah, pick time for me. Um, Zenfolio is also a good option. Depending on when you're listening to this, we're not affiliated with pick time, even though we both use it. Maybe they still have it going on. They do have a really good um, Black Friday deal on oh. right now. Oh. Um, Should I leave and rejoin? <laughs> uh, no, it's actually really good because if you if you take up the Black Friday deal now, yeah, they will just they will apply that to when your renewal date is. Oh. So even if that's oh. next September, uh, you'll you'll roll over on the Black Friday deal. So it's not just for brand new customers only. No, oh. it's for uh, existing customers too. Did not realise uh, that. Yeah, um, and, and they've added. Yeah, it's not cheap. You're right. Pick time is not the no. cheapest thing. Um, and also, I do I do find with pick time there's certain things that that I find very frustrating. Um, not much, and it's it's mostly just you know time consuming to kind of organise things and sort things and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, uh, I use it and I think it's very good. Good, um, um, Joe yeah. Arthur. Possible topic for the show: When will the full frame equivalent drop from the vernacular when describing APS-C lenses? Are we still holding on to that last thread of having a full frame and afraid to admit we're, we've fully let go? Are we still trying to explain ourselves to the full frame fellas? Uh, beginners often seem confused by the comparison, so it doesn't actually even seem helpful to them. I don't think it's not so much the full frame; it's the comparison to this 35 mil that they compare it to. Yeah. Which is a, as you know, the de facto sensor size, or so has been a, for a many, many yeah, years. Universal language, isn't it? Really. So yeah, yeah I think uh, I think that the you know, if you look on the Fujifilm website, for example, they, they on the the um, Fujifilm hyphen X dot com and all of the lenses, it will give you the thirty five mil equivalent yeah. focal length. Um, 
I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, to be honest with you. No. Um, but yeah, I can understand why it would confuse people. Um, you know, so I think it. I think it is important for people to know that they're buying an APS-C sensor rather than a 35 mil f- full frame, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, because you know, you they might just be thinking, okay, I'll you know, a Canon 5D versus an XT4 or something, uh, and then they they're going to get different sensors. You know, so I think it is important for them to understand that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it will go away anytime are you, soon. Are you doing much street photography at the moment? Uh, no, um, I've been. I've done a few workshops. Um, I haven't been out by myself though no. for a while. Uh, why? Why is that? Have you Have you lost um, a little of the mojo? I've been mojo? Balls deep in weddings. <laughs> That's a horrible expression, Kev. I was. I was have to. I was have to edit that out. Barney, don't listen. Kev's being rude. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's why I haven't I haven't done anything because um, I've got doing eighteen months worth of work in three months, really, like that's all of us. True. Yeah. Well, do you know Polly Russin very very well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, her, she's a street photographer. She does some mentoring as well. And uh, this week we've uh, we have an opportunity uh, to talk with street photographer and Fujifilm ex photographer Polly Russin. I was born feet first under a full moon in the middle of the night during a thunderstorm. Now, res- researching for interviews, Polly, I read a lot of about pages, CVs and bios, and that, that instantly is in my top ten of, okay, you've got my attention. Um, <laughs> writing is so important, isn't it, for photographers? It's something that I've been discussing more of late. The, the ability to speak through pictures is one thing, but of course, also being able to... Uh, to, to to speak um, through your writing, uh, that that's the proverbial icing, isn't it? I I, I think so. Yes, I think it, it's um well, it's it's good for for marketing yourself anyway, and marketing your work. Mm. Um, and you know, I'm not just uh, I'm not just a street photographer for fun. I do it as as I make a living out of doing it as well. And I've always enjoyed writing. Um, with my hands, I would like to say, um, even though I came out first. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're known for your street photography and your super, super eye for colour and humour combined. But how did it all start for you? Because I know you had no intentions of becoming a full-time photographer or, or a street photographer for that matter either. Yeah, I, um, I, I just sort of fell into it really. I was a graphic designer to begin with. So I've always been a creative person and I then got into, I went traveling and then I got into working in the travel industry and that job, whilst it had many creative elements, um, it was a commercial product manager role. So I was dealing with spreadsheets and numbers and I still do like a spreadsheet, have to admit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, I needed a creative outlet. So I started, so I picked up a camera and just got into sort of taking photos and then realized that the kind of photography that I enjoyed doing had a name and it was called street photography. Mm. Uh, and so that's how I sort of got into it. And then my desire to be creative in my travel role sort of became quite overwhelming. So I basically left. Well, the, uh, the, the travel thing, though, of course, has, has spurred on many of your adventures with street photography, hasn't it? Yeah. So I know that everything we do in life, um, does have some sort of importance and relevance to what we do later on, doesn't it? I agree completely. Um, it's like it's like everything has a has a role to play, yeah. and and I love how everything is sort of converging 
you know, the, all the things that I've I've done, like the graphic design side, the commercial side yeah. with lots of spreadsheets, and and now you know running running my own business. So it's like all those things have intertwined. And I've always been a writer. I actually wanted to be a writer before I wanted to be anything else, yeah. as far as I can remember. Apart from I did want to be a doctor at one point. Well, I read about I, that. Yeah, I read about your yeah. me- your medicine. We'll come back to that later on. <laughs> um, where, but were there any street photographers that particularly appealed to you? Because it's, it's one thing thinking, right, I'm, I'm, I like this thing called street. It's another thing yeah. developing an eye for it. It's uh, There are many people that term themselves or what they do is street photography. But there is a difference between snap on a street, and we talk about snaps a lot on this show, I know, but snap on a street, and an, a, a composition where you've really, where, where things are marrying together to form a composition, isn't there? Yes, I agree. Um, I think um, I think because I was uh, a graphic designer, and you know, and that is all about composition, um, you know, but it's it's working with layouts, with images, um, balanced with text, but it's all about composition. And so I became obsessed with composition in in my street photography as well. Uh, became a very important part of it, and and I prioritized composition over moment to begin with. Yeah. But now I I want I want both um, in my images. I want I want the composition, but I want, and I want the moment because without the composition, it's like you almost don't honor the moment. Mm. So it's like the what's happening in the rest of the frame and how everything is working together um, is like a complement to the moment. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of thinking about the whole frame involved when when I'm out shooting. And I think um, in terms of photographers that have inspired me in that respect then i i am gonna i'm gonna quote the the main man um henri cartier bresson Mm -hmm. because i think um as a composer he is a genius Mm. you know and you can you can really sort of look at his work for so long and sort of and realize that it's really well structured but yet he's got these wonderful moments and characters and happenings in in the frames as well. What, so, what what made you though go for that style? Because there are many forms of street photography. Uh, I'll dig another one of the, uh, the 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 main characters, if you like, of of uh, a slightly different genre of street. Bruce Gilden. I mean, uh, right. they are two extremes, aren't they? Yeah. You've got a slightly more abrasive style, and and you've got one of uh, certainly of capturing moments, uh, yeah. decisive moment thing that we we argue about so much, whether he actually really said that. Um, but but what made you choose what what made you choose that particular direction then? Um, I I prefer being stealthy. Yeah. I don't want to disturb the people that I'm photographing. I would never use a, a, a flash in somebody's face in the street. Um, I honestly prefer to go completely unnoticed. And the reason I like to work that way is because I, I sort of have this theory that from the perspective of whoever I photographed, that if they don't know they've been photographed, then does that photograph even exist? Um, in their consciousness so I haven't disturbed them so I can just go along with my day knowing that I haven't upset anybody or disturbed anybody but I've been able to do uh, like the problem solving and the creative outlet and the active mindfulness that I find in street photography. I think that's incredibly important these days to many many photographers Um, and you've you've come out of uh, well you came out of a 
uh, of uh, corporate businesses. And, and of course, what you do now is, is very, um, well, you're on your own a lot. It can be quite an insular business, can't it? Although you're amongst people, you're on yeah. your own. I love it. Um, I'm, I, I would describe myself as an extroverted introvert well that's possible i think yeah. <laughs> yeah so when i'm when i'm when i'm with a group of people whether it's like friends or or teaching a group of people or any kind of interaction with other humans mm. then um you know I, I i love it i get loads out of it but when i'm on my own i love that too <laughs> and, um and i'm i'm very comfortable in my own company yeah um i do laugh at my own jokes. So, um, and yeah, I'm totally cool with with that vibe of being on your own in the street. And the thing is, when when you're so focused, when you get into to the zone, you're really in the moment, um, you're not really, or, or at least for me, I, I'm so there that I can't be anywhere else. Mm. You know, so I'm, I'm so involved in the scene. So even though I'm alone, as you say, uh, I'm actually not alone no. because I'm there with all the other people who happened to be in that very same geographic location at the same point in time and space as me. So it's kind of like we're connected, even if we're not connecting. You you say that the world is, um, and I love this, you say that the world is like a jigsaw puzzle. You, you just have to complete it without knowing what the final picture will look like, which I love. Though, though things do have to conspire, don't they, to come together at the right time to make a great picture? Or, or do you have to have some kind of uh, picture sixth sense, Polly? Is, is it more luck sometimes? Is there serendipity playing a, a larger part in this? Uh, I, I, used to, I used to think that, ser- that luck and serendipity were the key, hmm. but I might start taking the word serendipity out of my definitions of street photography because I think it really is down to what you focus on, what you're hoping for, what you're imagining could happen, mm. what you're imagining you would love to happen in any given scenario. So sort of having like multiple ideas about the possibilities of what that end picture of the jigsaw is going to be. Yeah. And then letting your brain filters show you those things. Because I, honestly, I think that there are photographs waiting to be seen you know, by training your observation and sort of developing a kind of intuitive compositional skill, then you can start, you can start to see those things, you can see them unfold, um, you can anticipate them, you can almost will them to happen. So yeah, I'm sort of going along that sort of way of thinking these days that you just sort of lean into the possibilities and kind of just be able to see everything that is that is happening around you but, but are you a terrifically patient photographer in that that respect then because some of these some of these moments i look at them and i do want to mention a few in particular in a moment but i i look at them and think my word you must you must have camped out of that spot to wait for this i am i am patient but i kind of know when to give up and go yeah but i i do sometimes return to spots if if i think they're gonna give me something uh, I think the longest that I've ever spent anywhere is not more than half an hour. Well, there's a lot of humour in your imagery as well. Foregrounds collide with a mid in the backgrounds to, to form the whole story. Most authors, I would imagine, would comment, if they were writing a book, they'd say, well, I have some sort of um, some sort of idea of what the plot is going to be, and then I'll fit my characters into that plot. 
And I wonder if that's how successful street photographers work. That you see a background or a midground, you think, ah, there's the plot. Now I need my now I need my protagonist. Is is that how it works? Yes. Um and one of the things that um that I talk about on on my workshops is is seeing the street as theatre. Yeah. You know, so you need your stage, you need your lighting, you need your actors, and you need a story. So I always put that into my mind when I go out and see what I can see. And then wait for it to come together. Yes. And whilst we don't have all the control, obviously, on a candid scene hmm. um, and on a ever-changing environment, we do control what we frame, how we frame it, where we're positioned in relation to it and the time we hit the shutter. Yeah. So that's actually a greater amount of control than people may think they have as a street photographer. Um, so when you start to sort of going with that frame of mind that actually you are the director of this show then um you can do much more yeah. than you think you can i i think as a, a photographer of, of, of weddings or portraits or sport or anything like that you'd probably be able to be off duty from time to time but i i wouldn't imagine you ever are yes um yeah most definitely sometimes i don't have a camera with me to take it though. what, what? <laughs> I don't carry my camera around with me all the time. Ah. Um, and sometimes I just uh, I just rather sort of be where I am rather than be looking for pictures, um, even though, like, I might see them. But sometimes I, I, I do give myself time off because I, I, I kind of like to go out with the intention of making pictures. So the intention is that I've set aside a chunk of time um, I've got my camera with me. I've got my spare batteries and cards with me, and and I'm good to go. And I'm on a mission. Uh, and then other times it's like, oh, see you later, camera. I'm just going to go and do human things. <laughs> some some of the the human things you see, some of the pictures are really really subtle. Um, on your Instagram feed, which I've devoured the last couple of days, for example, it's one of the more recent ones, actually, a recent trip to Morocco, the picture of the blue building background, this sharp blue building in the background against a woman in red that's walking into the frame. But both the um, well, the thing is, it's not so much the colour, but the detail, because the building has, has two windows, both of which are, are slightly shaded by this protruding small roof sill each. And then you've got this woman in the foreground that's wearing mirrored glasses, which mirrors the, the windows. And, she, and she's, and she's yeah. pulling a scarf slightly yeah. over her forehead, which yeah, kind of yeah. mirrors this whole scene. Um, they're, they're the moments where I'm, I mean, did you see that instinctively in the 60th? Or did you return to the room later on, you know, when you're editing to say, oh, that was a happy accident? I want to believe uh, the former, obviously. <laughs> uh, I'm very attracted to colour, as you know, yeah. and red is a really powerful colour and will always catch my eye. Um, so I saw I saw the red walking yeah. towards me, and the backgrounds in Morocco are a gift because they are so colourful. Yes. But I saw her walking towards me with this this red and this the scarf. So I, I just I had to react very quickly to make the shot. And, and I, was, I was quite happy with that moment. It's not one of my favourite ones from Morocco, so that's, in, that's really interesting that um, you picked this one out. Well, I, th- I think it's, the, it's just the subtle nature of it. You think, oh, my um, word, that's clever. Because some, some street yeah. photography, you know, it is, is obvious and some of it isn't. And I think a lot of your images, you, many of your images, you look within and think, oh. And it's the, 
those kind of images. Well, why, uh, on the colour front, uh, many who street uh, who shoot on the street strip the colour from their images purposefully. But you you keep it. I mean, you you um, you bathe in colour, don't you? That that's your thing. Why why is that as opposed to others that work in black and white? I think it's a bit harder to work in colour mm-hmm. um, because you. It's not just about the photo being in colour. You have to think about the colour, you know, and and which colours are in the frame as well. And also black black and white will instantly create um, an, a sort of an other world, mm. you know, because it's not reality. So we don't see, the, most people don't see the world in black and white. No. So we've instantly got this layer of it's, it's unreal. There's some magic yeah. being sprinkled on it. But when you photograph in colour, you've got to find the magic in a different way. Um, you can't depend on, you know, stripping the colour out. So I'm very mindful of which colours I'm photographing and what colours I'm including in the frames. And I think colour as well, it's it's joyful. It, you know, there's, there's joy in colour. And especially, you know, if there are blue skies, then, you know, who feels who feels bad? under a blue sky but i think it's the it's the joy that that attracts me about color and working with color and it works so well in that shoed horses and that fabulous picture of just feet the the two set the two sets of hooves with red decorative (laughs) bandaging around the animal's legs And and then the woman just off to the right with her red shoes but here's the devil in the detail the shoes are proper platforms so that's where the mirroring is isn't it Right. Yeah. Yes. With um. Yes, because she's got her own hooves. Yeah. Uh, that was a uh, an interesting moment because I was actually trying to photograph the the horses' heads and the riders, yeah. but then somebody came along and there's this hand rubbing the horse's head, and it was uh. So there were some tourists, and then they wanted to have their pictures taken, so they ha- they were posing with the horses. So initially, I was thinking, ah, she's in my way. So I thought, well, I'm just going to wait. But then I looked down and I just saw how they were all standing in the same way yeah. and, you know, how the colours worked and um, and that she was the odd one out. So so I was like, yes, thank you, tourist, for getting in my way. Because <laughs> now, now I've got a better picture than, than I was even thinking about getting. So it worked out. It's interesting looking down, isn't it? Because we, we talk a lot about making sure you look up, look down. Where, 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 do, um, where do your eyes naturally uh, survey as, as you're looking for, for pictures? All over the place. <laughs> Helter skelter. <laughs> It's like they are roaming. My eyes are roaming. Um, if all else fails, I'll always, I'll always find some interesting legs. You know, I, I do collect them, so I do, I've got a collection of legs on my on my website. I saw, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I can always hang out with random legs, no problem. Um, but I'll be like looking around, and yeah, just eyes, eyes are roaming everywhere. I've got, I've got roaming eyes. <laughs> And Polly Russin uh, returns next week in part two to talk more about how she makes images on the street and what she looks for. While we have your ears, how could you possibly forget Kev's passion for country music, which he satisfies every Thursday afternoon, UK time at 3.30pm on the internet radio station IncapableStaircase.com. Of course, if you can't catch it live, you can hear it on Catch Up on the website itself. And then on Fridays, the Photography Daily podcast goes on a weekend photo walk. 
Uh, the idea being to uh, take you along with your cameras, making pictures as I read from the mailbag and talk to our special guest, who is this week, Robin Bell, a darkroom printer to the stars, including Bailey, Bob, Carlos Clark, Norman Parkinson, Terence Donovan, Terry O'Neill, Lee Miller, Clive Arrowsmith, and the list goes on and on and on, whether it's work for those still shooting or legacy work for collections. His list reads like a literal A to Z of photography royalty, and I feel very lucky to have spent time in his darkroom, and we'll develop that conversation. Can you see what we did there? Uh, This coming Friday on Photography Daily, the podcast, which is available wherever you get your podcasts, or at photographydaily.com. Show. Right, back to your questions. Oh, before we start, Kev has been up since 1.30 in the morning, just returned into the office at 1.30. Yeah. I mean, I know I know you're busy, but at 1.30 in the morning, can you can you really apply yourself to anything, or do you just end I up... I did loads of work, did actually. You? Honestly, it, so I've been here, uh, we're recording this at well, it's, 9.30. It's yeah, 9.42 right now. 9.42, so I've been here for eight hours. <laughs> And I've done, I've edited a video, I've I've practically edited a wedding, Um, I've done loads of emails and stuff. Yeah, I've done a lot of work, actually. I, I am. I will flail a little bit later, but no, yeah. I was. Uh, you know, I got this cold, so I couldn't sleep, and I, I just can't stand lying in bed. No, um, and doing. You know, knowing full well I'm not going to go back to sleep, and, and I'll probably just annoy uh, Gemma as well. So yeah, I just got up and came to work. Why not? God, that is stamina, Kev. But uh, you must have a very clean. Email inbox. You must be the most organised photographer in Malmesbury. I do like a good clean inbox. Yeah, I have to say. Yeah, that does. I do feel mine. agitated. I do have some left to, to deal with, but yes, yeah. I do try and keep it as minimal as possible. Because it is my to do list that that inbox, and if it's full of stuff, I feel really agitated. Yeah. So, do you, are you one Thanks of those people me. that send yourselves emails as a as a reminder of things to do? Yes. Oh. Is that not a good thing? <laughs> It's not a bad thing, but why don't you use a to-do list? I did like use to-do, but... To-do but, software. I do. I use Microsoft to-do. I used to use Todoist. But on your Apple thing, you've got Apple everywhere, so you, you've got to-do lists coming out your nose. Yeah, I know, but there's a problem. Then there's there's an inbox and a to-do list. I'm thinking, just put it in one place. Yeah, but email inbox email inboxes are for emails. To-do lists are for to-do yeah, but it, it, there's no reason why an email inbox can't be your to-do. I there? bet you keep your socks in your underpants drawer as well, don't you? And they're all in, I tell you what, Kev, they're in size order as well as colour order. I know when it's small. I need to have a, a more controlled <laughs> inbox. <laughs> well, it's the thing that they used to say about David Beckham, which has, a, I know, a serious undertone at the same time, but um, uh, that he used to organise the uh, Coke cans within his... Uh, within his fridge so that they all had the label pointing outwards. That was one of the things they said about Beckham, wasn't it? I thought that's nothing to do with him being fastidious about stuff like that. That that's all to do with the fact that if a, a camera crew comes round, that's perfectly placed for product exactly, placement. Exactly, yeah. Imagine that's that. what I was thinking. Lads, anyone want to oh look at all these Cokes. Yeah, well he was arranged. sponsored by Coke for a while, wasn't he? I remember him on Coke adverts. Coke oh, that, Coke adverts. Could that have been it then? Yeah, I would imagine so. See. I can't imagine he sorts his own blinking cupboards out or fridges out. <laughs> oh, I want to believe that. I want to believe Dave does stuff like that. Do you not think he does anything like that? Do you think Dave cleans a car? Well, huh? one of them, maybe. I don't know. I quite like David Beckham. I have to say. I know. I'm. I'm quite a fan of of uh, of David. Right. Um, questions. What have you got? Uh, Rob Wiskin says, hello, Neil. Hello, Kevin. I uh, love the show. Yada, 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 yada. I hear from many that a great picture is one you yourself love. Then I see photography competitions and recognition. 
How, who can determine this? Mm. What criteria do you go by when reviewing your work or someone else's? Thanks. I have read that out word for word. So I think the <laughs> point of it <laughs> is how do you decide if a picture is good yeah. if it's not your own? I, it's, uh, it's, it's all to do with it. Does it draw me in? Is there something about it that really excites me? I spoke the other day with Susan Goldberg, who was the, um, uh, the editor-in-chief at, uh, at National Ge- Geographic, and I asked her a very similar question, actually. What, what, makes, what, what, is, what does a picture have to do for you to say, whoa? Um, and she said it's something that, that, that is essentially is a double take. You look at that frame and you think, wow, I need to know what's going on there. I want to know what's going on there. Yeah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I think from the competition's point of view, which Rob mentioned, yeah, some of the competitions are probably very theoretically based. So an image has to be sharp, perfectly composed, perfectly lit, etc. And others perhaps are more based on the wow factor of the image just by the the content of it, rather than whether it ticks all of the boxes technically. What did uh, what did you used to look for when you were marking prints, Kev? When I used to do judging. I used to, I always used to be the one that would be like, oh, this is amazing. And and the other people would be like, yeah, but the finger's bent. Oh. Yeah. Is there a school where you can go and learn how to pose fingers and hands and things? Because there is, does seem to be something that people pick up on. Look at that hand. That looks a bit weird. I was thinking, no, it looks like a hand to me. For portraiture, you know, it's it's important. It, is, it does work. You know, a, a, a properly placed hand can make a difference in a yeah. in a in a in a good portrait. But for candid stuff or for images that, uh, you know, are not exactly perfectly set up, then you've got to have a little bit of leeway. I reckon. I suppose that was always very difficult for your stuff in competition work and getting your your associateships and stuff like that because people needed to understand that it was candid. And, and not set up yeah exactly it was a, it was a challenge yeah uh, but i think times is, you know things have changed you, you overcame for the better yeah yeah, yeah. um oh. holger nagel have you ever yeah that uh, that's is that german i think it sounds oh yeah sorry uh re, read the question neil this is my problem at school kev dear neil and kevin what a great show thank you for the podcast greetings from germany <laughs> candid, candid photography. I did read this. Why didn't I see the Germany bit? Candid photography. I really like it. But here is my problem. We are a typical family, friends, etc. Not everybody is a model. Normal looking people with sometimes strange looking expressions on their faces. Except, he says in brackets, for my beautiful wife and perfect children. I have to be fast when I take pictures. Otherwise, they switch to the mode. I am being photographed. I have to have a serious expression or smile candid opportunities at that moment lost i'm uh, able to focus my attention to the the main person but how about the background they often look quite well strange eyes closed eating drinking talking making faces how do you manage the background people in your candid shots thanks and good light says holger background people they do sometimes ruin a perfect shot don't they i've I've, I've got there's nothing you can do about it if they're not not part of it you know i got corker the uh, the other day i i think anyway at a, at a wedding it was a really lovely moment of you know when when some people um are absolutely consumed by their their religion you know their hands are in the air and they're singing mm-hmm. i don't know you might do this kev i don't know but it's actually the catholic church is not normally that sort of thing where you you sort of lift your chins and 
bellow your songs out to the to, to the high. Um, it's not. <laughs> I don't think that's a Mullin style. But you know, when, no. when you go to you're, those, you're thinking more of like the evangelical churches yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah. which are great. I love photographing. Yeah. Those. Oh, fantastic! And then it was right. We were mid. We were mid mid um, hymn, and they were belting the song out. The choir behind me were belting it out. I mean, it was fantastic. I, I made a picture. She looked like she was entirely the bride. This is entirely consumed by the moment, and he did, to be fair, as well. Just behind. Mum yawns. <laughs> now I did get other pictures. I think that's. A, I think that adds to the frame. Well, I did get other pictures where, um, where they are, where they are doing this belting out the song thing, but none of them as I don't think as powerful as that particular frame. Not because the mum's yawning, but I, I, I've, I've got the picture at the moment to present to them. But there's part of me that's thinking, oh. The background well, person spoiled the foreground. Yeah, and and perhaps they will say to their mum when they're looking at the pictures, "Oh, mum, why did you yawn at that point?" Yeah, it's not your fault. You no, can't do anything about no, no, it. No, 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 I know, I know, but 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 this this is what Holger's talking about. You're not going to Facebook a yawn out, you? Not Facebook. <laughs> What's that thing? Photoshop. Um, Photoshop. Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> no, probably not. Um, but but that's what Holger's talking about. Those moments yeah. where you, you make a oh, picture, yeah, 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 yeah. somebody in the background just just you know it's really really rare honestly when you're if you're it's really difficult when you're shooting candid photography to get layered pictures where everything clicks yeah it, it, it's extremely rare and extremely difficult i wouldn't worry about it though you know that you're uh if, if it's concerning you then then stop 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 letting it concern you. Just, I t- I tell just you, get on with I doing tell you what the job. It can yeah. be hard, but you you uh, talked about this in a book over the last couple of weeks. I can't remember which one it was. Where you, where you talk about when the layering, managing to avoid, and this is the uh, the real skill, managing to avoid overlapping anybody, so a head yeah. disappears. Or I think that's worse than somebody yawning in the background. Yeah, I mean, where do you draw the line? Also, in you know, I'm looking at images now, and uh, it's first dance. And basically, everybody in the background is is, is looking at their cameras, yeah. uh, looking at their phones. I should yeah. say, does that ruin the picture or not? I don't think it does. I have to say, because you know, if we, if we rewound fifteen years ago, everybody would be pointing their little Kodak one snaps yeah. at yeah. the bride and groom. At that point, it just so happens now that our phones are cameras as well. So there's no real difference. To be totally honest with you, you know, there's. There's people who are got their phones in their faces. There's other people who haven't. There's a guy here who's turned his head and is looking a different way, uh, so I can't see his face. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's it's nigh on impossible to get that right all the time. You know, I think it's really difficult. Yeah. Don't be too hard on yourself, Holger. I think that's what we're saying here. No, absolutely. Yes. More yawning. More yawning. Get more yawning in. Yeah. yeah. No, normally at this point we do the book. But there is no book this week. We're having a we're having a, a book free couple of weeks while Kev tries to find the box with the remaining books in it. I mean, we to be fair though, nearly three years in, we're not we've not done bad, Kev. You've never repeated a book. I don't I don't think you have. Not not from my memory anyway. No, I don't think we've repeated anything. Not that I can. I'm fairly sure we haven't. Yeah. Well, there are, there are some suggestions from uh, from people at, at books to books to buy, and Kev's Kev's wealthy. He can go out and buy a load of books. <laughs> Yeah. Do you still yeah, buy it? Yeah, go me. Yeah, Woo-hoo. go you. Do you still oh, buy it? What do you want for Christmas this year? Uh, <laughs> loads of photography books, Dad. Brilliant. <laughs> That's it. That's all you're getting. Uh, right, your question. Then we've got one about porn. About what? Porn. Porn? That's going to make people listen on. Neil, surely not. Really? Kids, hide your ears. All is not what it seems. Anyway, I'll let you go with your question first, Kev. 
Uh, Darren White says, just joined the group, but I have this question. If Kevin buys a book yeah. <laughs> with a dust cover, <laughs> does he keep it? Does he keep it on the book? Good question. Does he throw it away? <laughs> Uh, well, those those are, 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 are there can't be many people, but because uh, we're fa- fa- you're a fairly you know l- we've got a fairly loyal audience. So uh, yeah, b- but if you if you have just recently joined us, the Kev has this thing about boxes. He can't bear boxes. He'll he'll throw the he'll throw the box away and he'll keep the camera, but he'll never sell it in its original box, which is terrible. As I prefer to call, terrible I don't like to call them boxes. I like to call them trapped air. But in this new sort of world that we live in, with the uh, the circular economy, Kev. Keep the boxes. If you sell stuff on, then you don't have to use a new piece of cardboard. No, we're not getting into this again. I'll never agree with you. <laughs> no, Kev. No, I had, no, I, I, no, I, we've had, I Cop, had hate mail about this. COP26, there was there was a particular part of it talking about camera boxes. <laughs> and it was... Yeah, and you should recycle them rather than stick them in a cupboard. Well, recycle. Well, I suppose, yes, in some respect. But you're using them again. You are recycling them, you see, Kev. No, no, that's not what happens, is it? If it goes to someone like MPB, they stick it in a, in a, a vanilla box. No, no, no. If they've got the original box, they don't. If they've got the original box, it'll come out in the original box. Mm, not if it's battered and bruised. So anyway, no, I'm not talking about it. <laughs> that's it. I'm going home. <laughs> so go on then, Kev. What is what? Is, what is your answer then? Do you, do you keep your dust covers? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, that's very different. You damage the book if you took the dust covers off. Well, the dust covers add value. Um, oh, do they? Yeah, they, if you've got a book with dust cover and you, you're selling it or you're you, you're investing in it, then yeah. it's going to keep its value more. This is Tom Stoddart's <laughs> Extraordinary Women book, which uh, I've been looking at quite a lot of late. And I, I just thought, I wonder what the actual cover underneath the dust jacket is. And it's this really lovely uh, paper that's been used on, on the inside with with this debossed Extraordinary Women. I mean, it, it's a really lovely cover inside, but you'll never see it because there's a dust jacket on it. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, usually the covers underneath are works of art in their own right. Yeah. It's quite rare. Yeah. It's quite rare for a dust cover to be identical to the book cover itself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, always always investigate under the dust covers. Yes. Will Colin. Hello, Neil. Hello, Kev. It seems there are far fewer camera shops still trading nowadays. Whether chains like Jessup's or independent shops, they're a lot rarer than they used to be, no doubt because we're all buying online. But there are still plenty of, here comes the word, Porn shops. Oh. Uh, Put your head, get your head out of that gutter. Or, or at least there are in London, where I live. And whenever I pass a pawn shop, so now we've worked out it is P A W N. I always have a, a peek to see what camera gear they have for sale. It's usually mostly entry level Canon, Nikon, Nikon, DSLRs, kit lenses. But occasionally there's uh, something really surprising, like a, a really nice Fujifilm X-Series camera. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't tempted. My question is this. Have you ever spotted bargain camera gear in pawn shop windows and bought on impulse? Or do you worry that pawn shop gear may have had a hard life and should be avoided? Thanks for your podcast goodness. Podcast goodness. Best wishes from uh, from Will Collin. I haven't seen a pawn shop for years. Yeah, there's loads of them. They're, called, they're like called Gold Exchange and things like that. Are they? Um, right. Yeah. Oh, that, oh right. Okay. And my understanding of a pawn shop is, and I might be way off the mark here. It may not. It certainly used to be like this. Yeah. Might not be like it now. Yeah. Is that you know somebody goes in and they're desperate for money. Yeah. And so the, the guy says, right, well, give me your camera. I'll hold on to it for two months and I'll give you some money for it. And if after two months you come back with the money, I'll give you your camera back. That's how I think pawn shops used to work. Yeah, so you wouldn't actually put the camera in the window until those two months have passed then? Perhaps, yeah. But I, I just, it doesn't sit right with me, that that kind of, 
I feel like the person probably didn't really want to sell the camera, but was desperate for money. And that makes me feel sad. Or maybe so. it's just they thought that's an easier way to sell than go through. Maybe. Although you're never going to get a great deal, are you? You're better to go through. Of course, you're better to go through an MPB or a London camera exchange or somebody like that, because then they'll know the value of the item that you've got in your hand. Yeah, but they're not going to give you cash when you walk in through the door. I'm not going to say, right, yeah, here's 150 quid. No, they're not. No. So, so you, yeah, you've got uh, this, the, but, eth- the ethics, the morals and the ethics are, are your problem here, aren't they? Yeah, and I, I, like I said, I maybe that the business model is no longer like that, and I apologise if it's not. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I prefer to like go into Oxfam and places like that, although yeah. you don't really see cameras in there. You can occasionally do but yeah. books. Um, here's a PS. I'm trying to remember the name of a guidebook to street photography that Kev once reviewed. The author was female. You said it would be good for people starting out in the genre, but maybe a little basic for experienced street photographers. I'm the former, and I want to put it on my Christmas list. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Who was that? Uh, Are you coming back, Kev? Hang on. Kev disappeared. It's like a, it's like a mystery now. It's a, he's been taken by the upside down. Trying to look for that. That's where your box is, Kev. It's in the upside down. I haven't got it. Oh. (laughs) I was looking for it, but I haven't got it. It must be at the house. I'm in the studio. Do you remember it? Do you remember what one it was? Yes, there was one. Um, (laughs) I thought it was Women's Street Photographers, which is the one I do have. That was the one I was about to... uh, Gulnara sat some oil overs book, and I I, I thought that was the one you meant. No, that's not an instructional book. No, it's Um, not, is it? No. no, So, yeah, there was one. I can't remember. What you'll have to do is listen to every single podcast. Yeah. Find the episode. And and Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Bob Collin. Um, PPS. This could go on for a long time, Kev. If you think cameras are tools, not jewels then I realise the title of this email may offend. <laughs> oh, I've clever. just seen the title of the... Should we read that? No, probably not. Should we? Or Yes, that's just normal humour. Porn shop pearls. <laughs> there we go. All right. We are a family show, remember. Clever, clever wording. But clever wording, indeed. Right. And I do believe firmly the cameras are tools, not jewels. You do, yeah. Well, yeah, that's why yours are also beaten up, aren't they? You've never worried about that. I must admit, I quite like beaten up. Beaten up camera bags for me. I never want a camera bag to look like it's new. You know when people mm. have their brand new Billinghams and they, you know, don't go near that. No. You've got dirty fingers. You've got mar- a new camera bag. Mar- Marmite <laughs> fingers don't go anywhere near my Billingham bag. They keep them pristine. Whereas I, I like the, um, I remember having one off me, good pal Giles, that he'd, uh, he'd traipsed around Iraq with. And I liked it because it had some history to it. It rubbed it through the... the I mean, it'd been, it looked like it had been dragged out the back of a tank. It really did. But I loved it. Yeah. I thought it, it yeah, may, may well have done. It just, for me, it felt like it... I don't know. I liked it. It was all beaten up and it had history. And it all fell apart after about six months. I'm not surprised. But I did love it. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I've got my, my Dom Key bag. I've had... Must have had it for... 12 years it was the bag I bought right at the beginning but the big the zip on the back's busted and I do use that back pocket put a new zip in Kev yeah I thought about that but th- this is like canvas and you'd have to go to a special canvas zip shop do you not have any in Marsbury Don't I'm sure so. I saw the, the canvas zip shop it's just next to the smoking dog pub <laughs> no, you're right though I should just put a zip in it rather than think about getting a new bag oh, I did look I did I did look I looked on on uh, all the, the camera bags that are available now and I was like yeah I don't want my camera bags to look like that I don't want them to look like you know man about town kind no. of stuff yeah I want them to be 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Right. Uh, there are no PPPPPSs on this, so um, we are clear to take off and go with uh, with another question. It's really weird not having a book, Kev. Yeah, I know. Somebody, Sorry. Somebody send Kev a book, please. <laughs> Any book, doesn't uh, matter. Right. So, oh, hang on. My mouse has stopped working now. Oh, well, that's because uh, it's been working since one thirty. Kev. It's thinking, come on, Mullins. Yeah. yeah, it's probably thinking it's time to go home. Yeah. Uh, is it my go? Yeah, it is your go. We just did the pawn shop stuff. All right. Uh, Jeff Petrie. Yeah. While out on a photography walk the other day, I stopped by a used bookstore and picked up uh, the must-have book by Henri Cartier-Bresson, City and Landscapes. Oh. In flicking through it, there are several images that aren't great or even compelling to me. Yeah. I think they're just okay, especially since there's no clear or obvious subject. So what makes an image great or compelling and what makes an image bad? This is kind of like the question yeah, about the competitions. Bit, yeah, yeah. How does one go about learning what makes a great photograph? If you were explaining to someone newly interested in photography what a great photograph was, what would you say? If they wanted to learn and study what makes a great photograph, my stock answer to that would be don't expect your pictures to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, you can't. I mean... Top mentor Kev says... It's it's for other people to decide if your pictures are great, not not for you. So... um, But you should have a feeling uh, in, in in your bones, if you like, that you think, oh, I've nailed this. Is it? This is why I do this. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole. It's not just you know shouldn't shouldn't be over self confidence, but it, but it, but it, there should be a confidence involved where you think, oh, this is why I do it. No, I agree with that. But at the same time, you know, I think you can't really because it's it's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Yeah. What I enjoy looking at is not necessarily what you enjoy looking at, and the same for Gemma and Sam and the kids and all that. You know, it's just very different. You know, I think from an educational point of view. It, you know, it really always does come down to this idea of light composition moment. And that's that's ultimately where I would be telling people to research and, and look at things. Uh, you know, yeah, I can point them to a million books that I like, but they might be interested in being a stock product photographer of watches or something. Is there a number of photographs where you think that, that is me, that, that that's the pinnacle of my work? Um, no. You know, when you look at pictures on your own website and you know you look at some of them and you think mm, i don't sure i'm not so sure about that one any longer yeah. or you know or you think and we all do it we think oh i should change that one really i've got i've got other ones that i think are better but we never half the time never get around to doing it but you know they're there aren't they yeah as predominantly so, a wedding shooter kev i do you look at other wedding sites uh, in the same way that you might look at well we're talking about the extraordinary women book here by tom stoddart a moment ago what is it that in- enthuses you in an image where you think wow is it wedding pictures for you do you look at other wedding pictures or does yeah. it have to be a genre that's entirely separate yeah i look at i look at loads of other wedding pictures and then some of them absolutely floor me and i think yeah. wow they're incredible but i'm really the only ones that, that floor me are, are true candid ones um, of which there are many, 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 many brilliant, candid wedding photographers out there. They're the ones that I, I look at and I think, oh, that's amazing. That really is amazing. I don't look at uh, a picture of a bride being dragged up the side of a mountain and think that's brilliant, but this is the point I'm making. There are many people that that's what they do think is brilliant. And that's where, you know, that's that's proof in the pudding, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I look at other weddings. I, it always makes me laugh when... You hear other wedding photographers say, "Yeah, I don't look at other wedding photographers." You know, I'm I'm inspired by um, the, the the greats of street photography and uh, Ansel Adams. Yeah, weddings. No, I don't look at any of that. That's bullshit. <laughs> Is it? Say what you mean, yeah. Kev. Say what you mean. Yeah. Um, full name withheld. Paul. Hello, Neil. <laughs> Hi, Kev. Full, well, 
there's a lot of pools in the world, so I'm assuming <laughs> it's pretty safe for just giving us that. Been a listener since the very first show. I can't imagine a Monday without you two now. Well, actually, you had to because last week I screwed up, didn't I, Kev? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Went out on the Just Sunday. The too early. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I did that because I, I was I was pretty good last week. I was ahead of myself a bit, and I programmed the show, put it in the date, put it in the time slot, but obviously you got the day wrong ahead of yourself. The wrong day. I was a day ahead of myself. <laughs> so I apologise if you if you were thinking, oh, why is that there on a Sunday? Treat it as a bonus. Um, I haven't been sure whether to send this or not, but my wife suggested I do, so here goes. I started Ooh. photographing weddings six years ago, and I shoot between 20 and 30 a year, in a normal year. And, of course, a large percentage of that was lockdown and bookings. and um, that, that. I mean, in, in, it's quite a long uh, paragraph here, Kev, but in essence, that completely tore his business apart, as it did to, to so many people. It slowly Please. returned, of course. I've moved dates around, taken on a few for other photographers, but now gradually... Uh, I am seeing a return to normality again, but I fear I've lost my way, and I wonder if it's even possible to lose your nerve. I'm finding that I'm nervous where I wasn't before. My pictures don't seem to be on their their game. I don't want to give them up, but I'm uh, but they're becoming harder. Strangely, I wonder whether either of you have felt this at all in your career, Paul. I suppose that, let's take this as a two-parter. Um, did we feel it when we came back from COVID? I I did a bit actually, Kev. It, yeah. it it took me it took me a few months before I thought, oh, I can do this. And it wasn't that I'd lost the skill or couldn't see a picture or couldn't compose a picture. It was a truly it was a truly mentally weird time, and it took me it did take me a couple of months to find my feet again mentally, perhaps not creatively. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think yeah, it's definitely not something to be ashamed of. And I, I think we've, most of us now have shot quite a few weddings in the last three or four months. Yeah. And um, we've probably got back into our rhythm a little bit, but um, yeah, definitely it, it was a weird experience. Weird. It, it, yeah. I suppose it's a little bit like kind of having not driven a car for two years yeah. suddenly getting back in it yeah. um you know you've got to be careful you do things in the right order for example i forgot i forgot the the one thing that i really really need at a wedding uh, i forgot it on my first one back after covid oh no what was that my belt oh to to so you can put the little loop thing on to hang the camera yeah. off you yeah yeah so I, I i i carried the camera around in my hand <laughs> <laughs> do you know that is the reason why kev in the back of my car there is always a spare belt yeah, very I, wise. I'm really yeah. worried I've about. I've got a spare shirt, but I haven't got a spare belt. No spare belt, spare belt always, because I know that one day I'll go out and I'll forget the belt, and that is a really important piece of kit if you use the spider holster system, that, like, <laughs> like the way that we do anyway. Yeah, but no, I actually think I think a lot of people's confidence were not was knocked, and I don't think there is any shame in admitting that no. at all. And mine was 100. percent yeah. At what, at what point do you think it's a very difficult thing for Paul here? It, it, will there be a moment where he thinks, "Well, I just I don't want to do it anymore"? There are photographers who've who've, um, who've come to that realization. Actually, uh, I know of a few. I won't, I won't mention names, but uh, I know two I'm thinking of that just aren't doing it anymore now. That were really and still would be at the top of their game. I think if they were using a camera, but they obviously don't feel it. Yeah, uh, there are. I know people as well who've, who've done that. And yeah. uh, whether that's a consequence of them getting a, a different career because they've had to during that time, or or whether they've just realised actually that's just not what they want to do. You know, it, it hits us all, doesn't it? What do they say that most people spend five years in? A, in a particular job before moving on uh, the average now, person spends five wow. years 
So gone are the days of uh, thinking that you're going to be doing it for 20, 30 years then. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It's a... don't be too thought, isn't it? Don't be too hard on yourself, Paul. It will come back. It did uh, did take did take me a little while mentally, um, but I I think I'm back there now. And I know you are, Kev. You've been uh, well, you're working like a mad thing, getting up at one thirty in the morning to edit weddings. Now look at you. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't be like Kev, people. <laughs> no. Right, that's it for another week. Um, if you can share the episode on Twitter or on Facebook, you are a star. Let us know where you're sharing because we'd like to give those platforms a shout-out too. Um, of course, keep those questions flowing in. As I say, winter sometimes, as we get to, we're a little bit deeper into winter, um, sometimes uh, the questions are a bit slower. So send them in, please. Uh, there's two ways to do it. You can either do it through the Facebook group uh, and uh, it's it's pinned to the top. You can leave your questions there or send them in via the, the email. Click at fujicast.co.uk. Music from Blue Wednesday. Supporting music from the incredible artlist.io. Thank you to our guest, Polly Russin. And, uh, of course, you can see um, some links today or in, the, in the famous show notes that, that Kev will be making go live. Is that right? Making go live, go live, go live making. Well, you know what I mean. See you next week, Kev. Bye. Bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.